the Radical Secular Podcast, dedicated to the separation of church and state and the pursuit of justice. Visit theradicalsecular.com for our full library of episodes and articles at the Radical Secular blog. Sign up for free access to exclusive content and giveaways. Email us with your comments and suggestions and follow us on social media. Hello, and welcome back to the Radical Secular Podcast. I'm Christoph Defoe. I'm Sean Prophet. Today, we'll give you a window into what grassroots resistance to the GOP politics looks like at the local level. Sean and I will discuss South Carolina's new heartbeat ban and the cautionary tale of Poland. We'll also try to wrap our minds around the authoritarian resurgence unfolding in Myanmar. Before we get into any of that, though, I want to remind you that if you like our show, to make sure to subscribe, leave a review, check out theradicalsecular.com, and tell your friends to listen. New episodes post Monday at noon Eastern on YouTube and all the major podcast channels. And if you're into reading, check out the blog at theradicalsecular.com. Okay, let's get into the t-shirt. Sean, what do you got? Okay, well, I have a fuck Nazis shirt. We have canceled the vowels, so... <laughs> we'll cancel culture here on our fuck Nazis shirt. And we're canceling Nazis too, by the way. I love it. Can- canceling <laughs> the letters. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> fucking perfect. And we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about CPAC and, and we're going to talk about the fucking canceling uh, the anti cancel culture CPAC thing. It's absolutely it's so out of hand. It's just out of fucking hand, like <laughs> unreal. So I am rocking today. My KTM shirt. Mm-hmm. I think congratulations are in order. Indeed. I secured a KTM 790 Adventure motorcycle this week. Very exciting. Sean and I, we had a conversation about motorcycles this week with with our respective partners. And we had a a fun time doing that. And we talked about uh, uh, your guys sort of. Yeah, we may be thinking about uh, doing something similar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> now, here is the fun story. I'll make this quick, but the bottom line is they were supposed to deliver the motorcycle on Thursday, uh, right? Thursday. And they brought, they showed up with the wrong motorcycle, which so, <laughs> and, and so they came back the next day with the correct motorcycle. And this was yesterday, Friday. We record on Saturdays. So anyway, so uh, of course I'm excited, right? So I, I, I throw on my stuff. I put on my helmet. I run out there and I'm like, I can't wait to ride this thing around the block or whatever. So I, so I ride out. And, um, and it feels good. And I go and I'm maybe, I don't know, like five blocks from my house or something like that. And I go to make a left-hand turn and I'm going really slow. It's a sharp intersection and I'm going real slow. And I take that. I, I lean hard. Like I'm like, I'm feeling it. You know, I'm feeling good, you know, like I can do. So I lean hard, Sean, the motorcycle slipped right out from under me. Oh, geez. The, sl- the motorcycle slipped brand right out. New, brand, brand new. Brand new, Sean. This was the maiden <laughs> ride. The maiden ride. And he, and, and it turns out, right, and, and look, so this is the first brand new motorcycle I've ever owned, <laughs> but it's not the first set of tires I've ever owned. Right? I've owned many sets of new tires in my life. This has never happened before, but it turns out that at, when the tires, when they're making the tires in the factory, right, they put like a coating on them to be able to get them out of the mold really easily. Oh. And so when, the, when you first get a brand new set of tires, right, like it's usually fine if you're going in a straight line, but if you really lean hard, there's basically Teflon on there, right? Oh it, my it, God. Like, and so it was drizzling, there was oil on the road, and I got this like Teflon on my tires. <laughs> And I mean, like, I am fine. Like, I did not even a bruise. It didn't even scratch my clothes, right? Like, it's like, honestly, like, everything was like, 
I, it did scratch my handlebar, the side of my yeah. handlebar. So I'm like, so my brand new motorcycle, 2020, mm-hmm. and it already has a scratch on it. I've already dumped it once. I mean, you can't make this shit up. You can't make this shit up. So anyway, uh, I came home laughing and I told Lindsay and she just laughed at me for basically a half an hour straight. Uh, <laughs> and, and it very it's well deserved. appropriate. Well deserved. Well deserved. I've been riding a long time. I know what I'm doing. And but wow. So anyway, that well, is con- connected to my to my shirt story here. You know, back in my motorcycle days 20 years ago, when I had a Yamaha Maxim 700, the worst I ever got hurt on that bike was in my backyard when I <laughs> dumped it over and got a tailpipe burn that took like eight there weeks you go. to heal. You know? Yes. Yes. I'm telling you, slow motion tip overs are like, that's usually where it happens, right? These like when you're at slow speed, that's when you're most likely to fall off that motorcycle or have it land on you or whatever the hell else. So anyway, oh, fun. and the stats are about that is I was reading something about crashes and 30% of motorcycle crashes are people running into the back of cars. Oh, really? Int- and that's also not surprising because you look down at you look down at the, mm-hmm. at the at the thing for a second, right? And that's all yep. it takes. That's yep. all it takes. That's all it takes. And that happens in a car all the time, right? Right? Yep. You look down at the radio for a second, right? You Whatever, you go to answer the phone, and boom, there you go, right? Yep. Um, and wow. except if you're on a bike, you can go flying. And that's the, I mean, the, the, like a comically huge difference between the two experiences for sure. Uh, one involves all like, uh, like a, a being airborne, a, a airborne, right? <laughs> Flying through the air. And the other one is maybe a fender bender. Anyway, so interesting little tidbit there. Everybody, uh, make sure you always wear your gear right no matter how short your ride is going to be a little skid is not a big deal but flying off the motorcycle and rear-ending somebody is a huge fucking deal so you don't want to do that anyway let, we have a lot to talk about today let's jump right into it i want to start sean with an amazing experience i had with uh, this week with grassroots activism mm-hmm. my dear lauren my dear friend lauren and she's a friend of the show a friend of mine and a hardcore anti-racist and really more than anything else like she's a real organizer right she's always organizing these sort of things and so she asked me to get involved at the county level here in my home state of new jersey and the issue that we are addressing stems from this proposed anti-hate resolution which all the geo the all gop board of commissioners tried to water down which is of course unsurprising but was also fucking infuriating and outrageous so let me read some news coverage of the issue and this is going to sort of lead us into our conversation about the about cpac as well right so, <clears throat> Now, quote, during a heated discussion about anti-hate resolutions last week, the head of the Sussex County Board of Commissioners brought up two instances of vandalism and a reported shooting near the home of Sheriff Michael Strada last summer. Also, the whole sheriff system is just fucked. The sheriff system is so sick in this country. That's a whole other thing we can get into, but that's a separate matter. Anyway, back to the back to the text here. Uh, Board Director Don Fantasia cited the incidents and mentioned Antifa and Black Lives Matter on Wednesday night during an anti-hate resolution discussion. That came amid a debate with local residents over an early proposal to condemn white supremacy, neo-Nazism, white nationalism, and the riot by Trump supporters at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Why, Fantasia asked, didn't the resolution note that the 10 shots fired at Strata's house while he was inside with his family, or the letters Black Lives BLM found spray-painted on a street sign near his home and on the sheriff's street? She said three people had been arrested for the shooting and said one was affiliated with, quote, a group that she didn't name. 
Now, the problem with Fantasia's argument, key facts appear to be wrong based on statements from law enforcement in a review of the cases. No arrests have been made in connection with the June 1st incident outside Strada's home. Neither the state police nor Sussex County Prosecutor's Office have stated 10 shots were fired, nor has anyone confirmed the finding of the of bullets or casings near the site. Fucking outrageous. Now, the entire this is the entire GOP playbook on full display. Bad faith, false equivalence, deflection, conspiracy theories, outright lies. Now, the the meeting itself was really awesome. It was like it was great. I got to do a little speech and and it was really great to feel like everyone there was these progressives that were really keeping this GOP hegemony in check in that era at area. And I, I, it was the first time I'd ever attended something like this, where you just had these passionate progressives holding conservatives accountable. And anyway, it, it, it was really uh, great. And, but also so infuriating, Sean, because th- like all the stuff that came out of their mouths was exactly the kind of shit that we've come to sort of expect from conservatives. Well, look, if you think about it, okay, what they are pushing is it's tending more and more all the time towards just open white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And they used to be ashamed of this, that they used, this used to be not tolerated anywhere. And somewhere along the line, they have got, they, they found this strategy of constantly pushing back. No, it's Black Lives Matter. No, mm-hmm. it's the left. No, it's Marxist. No, it's socialists. And mm-hmm. it's like this is their only this is their only play. They have nothing left because they are now open seditionists, white supremacists. And so even when they will point at any acts of violence by anyone on the left or anyone black as a get out of jail free card for anything that they want to do. <laughs> so okay? true. And even when there's not violence, they make shit up like these 10 supposed bullets that were there that didn't even end up being there. Okay. Just, oh, we found casings. You found one casing, you fucking liar. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And, and it was probably like, from three weeks ago, you know? Exactly. And, and like, just like, and it's that false equivalence. It's like drawing this narrative. And right. And so one of the things that my friend asked me to do is because this woman wanted to add Black Lives Matter to the hate resolution. And, and it's just like, I, I mean, Sean, I mean, can you make, we can't make this shit up. I mean, this deliberate refusal to really understand what Black Lives Matter even is. And, right. And, and I think this is a really great way to segue into the CPAC discussion, right? Because, right, there, they have themed CPAC as uncanceling conservatism. Like, right. wow, yeah. right? Wow. Unbelievable, right? I mean, what the, the bad faith, the bad fucking faith. This goes back to the lack of a 2020 Republican platform. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. the Republican Party used to have ideas. I mean, we could disagree with them all we wanted, but they had ideas about small government, low taxes, uh, this and that, whatever their policy was. Okay, but you could read what their policy was, and they would discuss it. Now sure. it's not their entire platform is about cancel culture. Yep. That is the entire platform of the Republican Party is. You're preventing us from being hateful. You're preventing us from saying the hateful things we want to say and doing the hateful things that we want to do. That is the entire Republican Party platform. And furthermore, they're they're all upset that we still have winners and losers in elections, and sometimes they lose. 
Yeah. I mean, and that's just fascism, right? At this point. And like you, we, you and I were talking earlier about this, and this is important, right? That this is that fascism needs a, like a, a unifying lie, Right. Right. Oh, you know, I was talking to my friend Razib earlier today about this and a a unifying lie. And they have that now. The unifying lie is like things like cancel culture, which is related to right, which is an interesting dovetail with the election fraud. Right. Because it's the same idea that basically that like conservatives are it's a victim narrative that conservatives are being canceled. They are their votes are not being counted. But it's the same sort of concept, this idea that we are not being taken seriously somehow. And even though they, right, the, the irony of this is on full display with like a few months, a month ago, or whatever, with Marjorie Taylor Greene wearing censored on her mask as she st- sits, yeah. as she talks on the floor of the House of Representatives being yeah. covered by C-SPAN for free. This is what it is. The people with the loudest megaphone and the most power are continuously claiming to be the victims. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this is just, this is not just the Republican Party. It's Christianity in general. You, Christians mm-hmm. are, it, it is, Religion in America is almost entirely Christian. The other minorities are just a tiny fraction. Okay. So religion in America is almost entirely Christian, Catholic, Protestant, doesn't matter. All right. They are a $1 trillion a year business that is tax exempt. They control massive, a massive quantity of the districts are hardcore red districts that are dominated by evangelicals. And they have a, basically in the Senate, there is, you have to have a supermajority to get anything done. And they have a lock on that 40 vote uh, block that prevents anything from ever getting done. Okay. And so they have the most power. They have Fox News. They have highest rated news and, and opinion programs in the country. They had Rush Limbaugh. They have people, millions of people listen to them on the radio. They have megaphones everywhere. And yet they're constantly claiming to be the victims and to be canceled. Yeah, that's exactly right. And this is important. And this is what you and I talked about earlier today. One of the things we talked about earlier today, and that is the issue of accountability. And we talk about accountability on the show all the time, because really when you're saying cancel culture, what you're really saying is I don't believe in accountability. I believe I should be able to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. And that is the entire MAGA brand. That is that it, it is basically like, fuck your feelings, right? Fuck your feelings is a great, it's their entire, brand. Of, it, it's their entire brand It's the entire yeah. brand. Fuck your feelings. And I think it's important too, right? Is, and we, you mentioned this, uh, and I think maybe you should talk about it in, in terms of uh, the connection with libertarianism here. Well, okay. So we know that there's this spectrum uh, that goes from libertarianism. Everybody is free to do whatever they want. And so you start, you bring in weaponry. Okay. So now you have the second amendment. Everybody's could have as big of guns as they want. Well, pretty soon, whoever has the biggest guns wins. And now you're back to essentially anarchy, the warlord system, which is feudalism. So this is what happens. If you don't have rules and civilization, it immediately goes towards anarchy and then to feudalism, which is the way that humans have lived for most of their history. And we're coming out of that into a, a, a more democratic system. And the ugly bony hand of the past is trying to reach out and just quash democracy. And and this is the venue. Okay. So we used to fight with weapons. Now the weapons are words and ideas. And in a democracy, those are your weapons, right? So when you, it's all about what's acceptable in terms of discourse. It didn't used to be acceptable to be an open white supremacist. It didn't used to be acceptable to try to overturn elections. It didn't used to be acceptable to say shitty things about women and gay people and transgender people. Uh, now these things are, this is just their policy. This is, yeah. uh, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene in the Capitol building is putting up a 
bulletin board saying that, that, that there's only two genders, right? And she's doing that specifically because the congresswoman across the hall has a transgender child, okay? So this is just open hate. And what it ends up, what it ends up doing is encouraging, just like with the biggest guns, the people with the loudest megaphone are the ones who win. Because if you can't cancel their megaphone, they dominate the discourse. That's absolutely right. And cancel culture is, I think it's really important that we debunk this concept. We talked about this earlier too, right? And this is important because we, I am hearing people I know, people I care about, smart people and people with progressives, obviously, because I'm certainly not friends with a whole lot of conservatives. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, for all the reasons we're talking about right now. So uh, this idea of cancel culture I challenge everyone listening to this to define cancel culture, like really just try to say, like, what does it actually mean if you break it down? Right. Because we can talk about what Marxism is. We can talk about mm -hmm. what socialism is. But these terms are not used in any technical sense. Right. They're at the end of the day, just rallying cries for a tribal of, of tribal loyalty, right? That's really all they are. Because cancel culture, right? It, it it's too abstract to really mean anything. And really, what it is, it just says, "I don't want to be accountable." I should again, fuck well, your feelings. Cancel culture should just be relabeled. I want to say shitty things. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. it. That's I all want it to is. say because if you're saying good things, nobody's going to stop you. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. If you're not being morally reprehensible. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. And I think what's also important too, and this is the idea that this whole cancel culture idea that you were getting from the right and is seeping into mainstream society is this idea that it's basically like, we, yeah, we should be able to do whatever we want without any consequences. It, it, it's just this idea. Well, let me put it this other, put, put it another way. There are norms in society, right? They are enforced by shaming. They are enforced by, and we have all kinds of norms. If I decide to go outside and not and without wearing my clothes, I'll literally get arrested, let alone, right? Like I can't right. just do whatever I want. I just can't. And so that's why I can't, that's why the cancel culture idea is so annoying to me. And so it's like so infuriating to me specifically because I'm like, what are you talking about? We have those kind of rules. You don't call it cancel culture when someone says, I can't go outside with my, I've got my clothes on. We have more, we have social mores. We have social fucking mores. And now it turns out that social mores include not bad mouthing trans people. I'm sorry. Yeah, it does. I mean, let me make another analogy here. Okay. Yeah. And obviously this goes between norms and laws, right? Mm -hmm. Norms and laws are part of the same spectrum of holding people accountable, right? Exactly. And so if I go into a store and I steal something, I'm breaking both a norm and a law. Mm. Okay. The norm says that you should, there should be fair exchange reciprocity. I shouldn't get something for nothing. Okay. And the law says there's a law against petty theft and larceny. Okay. So there's no question about that. Nobody is going to argue with the fact that somebody should be arrested for stealing, but with cancel culture. Okay. If I say something that dehumanizes a person or strips from them, their dignity, I have stolen their dignity from that person mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I should be held accountable. Now, there's a matter of degree, right? It's different if you steal a candy bar than if you steal a car. Okay. So there's got to be a matter of degree. And I understand that this is, that there's a slippery slope argument that people make here about mm -hmm. cancel culture, mm -hmm. but the consequence should fit the crime. And so the bigger your megaphone, the more, like if you're a star, if you're Gina Carano and you compare conservatives being canceled to the Holocaust, mm -hmm. you are both lying about conservatives and you are trivializing a genocide.
Okay, so that is a big offense, and she has a big platform, and that big platform is in, with one of our largest corporations. So no harm, no foul. You want to quit Disney and go work for Ben Shapiro? Fine. Okay, but don't pretend that this that somebody did this to you. This is a choice. Yeah, that's so true. You know what? A funny thing about what's her face about Gina, and mm -hmm. she like there was a meme that came out, and uh, I, maybe it might have been Drew Scott who put it up because usually one of some of the most biting memes come from him. But I think it was the woman who plays who plays the the Nazi in the Boys, a Stormfront. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they should have yeah, they should have just switched. Yeah, like they, <laughs> they just just paid Gina to come and play herself. That's what yeah. they said. They should just switch places. I was like, it's fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that fucking was perfect. It was fucking awesome. Way, shout out to Drew for his memes and also for his fucking dioramas. Have you seen them? Oh yeah. Outstanding <laughs> stuff. Outstanding stuff, man. And he always sends me the, he always sends me like these, like this, this wild stuff and these videos. I always love it. Always love it. So, and he always, and he's a really great cheerleader for the show as well. He, he'll repost it. And we really appreciate that Drew, if you're listening. Oh, he said today that that he that uh, that Bill Maher had long ago since uh, ceased to be his favorite political talk show, and that now it was the radical secular. So thanks, uh, Drew. That is how that it, is. Drew. We love it. <laughs> we love it, Drew. We really do. We love you. Thanks for everything that you do out there. But yeah, and I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't point out. Speaking of Nazis and the shape of the right, the shape of the of the stage. Did oh, for that? fuck's sake. Okay. I think, like, all right. And it, even, <laughs> look, look, what I'm saying is that for a couple things, first of all, even if that, I mean, I don't know that I doubt whether that was that what they were going for, but wow, wow, you should pay attention to what your stage looks like. Secondly, the optics are just bad, but secondly, why did you shape the stage that way? Like we, we have to explain what it is. Basically, the stage at CPAC viewed from a certain angle looks like a rune that was normally used on the lapels of SS agents. Mm -hmm. It's it's a it's kind of a weird shaped rune. And there's really no reason for the stage to be that way. But I also I have a little bit of a hard time actually thinking about these guys doing that intentionally. I doubt they did. I think it's just it's there's a little bit of pareidolia going on there, which is kind of the same way that conspiracies get started. Mm -hmm. I was more bothered actually by the golden calf Trump puppet that they had. There I then. know. Can you believe like, that thing? I mean, it, that is astonishing from a bunch of people who call, call themselves religious. I mean, the, I mean, right. The, the whole idol worship, the golden calf, the whole fucking story of Moses throwing the tablets down and all that. Like, I mean, and and again, this just goes to the point about the, connecting that now to the stage. It's just like tone deaf, right? It's like, mm -hmm. how do you not see? Do you not see how we all look at this? Like, I mean, and they, well, they, just, they just don't care, right? If, if, if we're remember, their to... goal is triggering the libs, right? So right. this always, all always, is in service always. of their goal. Fuck your feelings. It's yeah. like, ah, we could do this Nazi thing because we have all the power and we don't care. Right. It's, it's really just that brazen and in your face. And it also, it rallies the troops because the more absurd, the more hateful, okay, that your thing is, the more hypocritical it is, the more you have to be insane to accept it. And so it becomes this constant purging right? Where you go one step further crazy, one step more crazy. Yes. And then, and so you're going to lose people. You're going to lose Liz Cheney, or you're going to lose mm -hmm. Mitt Romney, but then the faithful become even more brazen and more enraged. Like for example, Ted Cruz, he goes running off to Cancun during the historic blackout in his state where people are literally freezing to death. He goes jetting off to Cancun and then he comes back and 
you know, his wife's text messages have been outed by a reporter <laughs> and he has the fucking audacity to say to the press conference, don't be assholes. Yeah. On a, really something else. I mean, he is, he is, Ted, remember back when Ted Cruz used to be sort of a fringe person in mm -hmm. the Republican Party? Remember? He mm -hmm. used to be like, oh my God, crazy Ted Cruz. He is now, his brand is, and Josh Hawley's brand is now- Right down the center. It is, it is the mainstream of the Republican Party. And people like Mitt Romney and Liz Cheney are lefties as far as they're concerned, right? Oh, Rhino, yeah. rhinos, oh, all yeah. of that, all of that shit. Well, and the thing is, it is just- it is triple down on crazy, quadruple yep. down, right? Yep. And and this gets into the fact that these folks know they are not answerable to voters yes. at this point. And it's not so much true with Ted Cruz because he's in a statewide election, which is not subject to gerrymandering, but he knows he's from Texas and he knows what Texas is, is about. So he can do that and not be worried about whether he's going to lose his election. But this is doubly true for people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, because she is in a completely safe district. Mm -hmm. And there are so many others like that, where the only way that she gets primaried is by somebody who's even crazier than her. That's exactly right. And then and this precipitates a race to the bottom. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that, like you say, the goal, like like if you try, if you backtrack on right wingness, right wing. Mm -hmm then you just get primaried from the right. And so it just becomes like, how crazy can you be? And like you said, this is this phenomenon where you see where like uh, the, uh, we see this in cults, right? It's is where, where, when the big lie is shown to be a lie, people, it, it galvanizes the cult, right? It galvanizes the cult. It doesn't, some people will get, will get peeled off, right? Some people will for sure. Like when the, for like when the cult that you and I are involved in, when the nuclear bombs didn't fall, Mm -hmm. A lot of people left, but some people didn't. Some people doubled down and got even more invested in some ways, you know? Well, they did exactly what the Republican Party is doing in the sense that they said, our prayers prevented yes. this from happening. We prevented this. So, and so it comes to the point where anyone who actually said in our cult, hey, the messenger was wrong about this prophecy. She was wrong and it didn't happen. And we all wasted all this money, right? Right. That person was a radical. Right. And now the mainstream of the cult is our prayers prevented the disaster and she was right and our, we, our faith is strong. Okay. Yep. And this is exactly what's going on here. Now in the Republican Party to say that we should count the votes and have a fair election is considered radical. Which is such a crazy, I mean, when, when we're talking about like, just like, we're talking about numbers, right? We're talking about like, so it is now an math. article, an article of math. <laughs> we're talking about math. Like, so we're talking about, it's, it's an article of faith now in the GOP to not believe in basic math, right? Like that is where we are at this point. But, and, and that's actually not that big of a difference, right? Because science was always something that they just didn't, right? Anything well, that doesn't go, that goes against orthodoxy just gets jettisoned. Admitting that a school shooting actually happened and wasn't oh a false flag is heresy. Like if you admit that a school shooting actually happened, then you might have to question the second amendment. You might mm -hmm. have to question all these things. We can't do it can't do it. You can't pull that thread. It's the same thing with this, as I was saying earlier on in this conversation, right? This woman, this Dawn Fantasia, right? Mm -hmm. it, she, they, the whole thing, the sticking point here is not wanting to put in the Trump insurrection, right? Into yeah. the thing, because th it's an article of faith on the right now that was either not a big deal, it was a false flag operation, or if those two, the third fallback position is, okay, even if it was uh, real, Trump, it wasn't Trump's fault, right? So those are like the three sort of like fallback positions yeah. as- And BLM as, as, is worse. 
Right. And of course, you always have to throw in a little bit of false equivalence like that. Mm -hmm. Definitely always have to throw. In. And by the way, let's let me try to end this with I'll read what I wrote, what I read. Um, yeah, I want to hear your speech. speech. I gave. Absolutely. Um, and so then we'll close off this segment and move on to the next thing. It's a great way to to end this because it was all about busting up false equivalence. <clears throat> Here we go. My name is Christoph Defoe, and in many ways, I'm just like you. My family settled in Northwestern New Jersey in the 18th century. My grandfather fought in World War II. I'm an American citizen. I'm married to a beautiful woman named Lindsay. I'm a lawyer, a homeowner, and a New York Giants fan. I've got two cats at home, and I should probably get a little more exercise than I do. I'm also a black man living in America, though. Shortly after the 2016 election, I was assaulted and called the N-word outside a, bar, a New Jersey bar. I quit playing men's league hockey in 2017 after I was assaulted explicitly due to my race. And those dangerous encounters are rare in comparison to the subtle indignities I've shrugged off over the course of my life, like the time someone replied, oh, wow, a black lawyer, when I revealed my profession at a birthday party in 2014. I doubt that many of the council members have been physically assaulted because of the color of their skin. I doubt also that they have frequently had their credentials questioned because of the color of their skin. You see, in those ways, you and I are not alike. Like my grandfather who faced racial discrimination when he returned to the United States after fighting fascists in Europe, I'm engaged in an ongoing struggle to be included in America's promise of universal justice. Black Lives Matter gives voice to that struggle. The organization describes itself as, quote, an inclusive and spacious movement that must move beyond the narrow nationalism that's all too prevalent in black communities to, to build a movement that brings us all to the front. A recent Harvard study shows that 96.3% of Black Lives Matter demonstrations involve no property damage or police industries in, injuries. And in 97.7% of events, there were no injuries at all. On the other hand, the Proud Boys is a far-right, neo-fascist, male-only, white nationalist organization that promotes and engages in political violence. They describe themselves as, quote, Western chauvinists who, quote, refuse to apologize for creating the modern world. Its particip participants espouse all manner of bigotry while making allies with white supremacists. In fact, the notorious neo-Nazi march in Charlottesville was organized by a Proud Boys member. Proud Boys member played a prominent role in the violent insurrection on January 6th. Surely, you're all smart enough to understand the distinction here. Black Lives Matter is a broad inclusionary movement committed to an America in which everyone has a seat at the table of power, regardless of their race, gender, or religion. Black Lives Matter is not about black supremacy. It's about eliminating race-based supremacy altogether. The Proud Boys, on the other hand, are explicitly in the exclusion business. The KKK built its identity around violent reaction to the 20th century civil rights movement, the movement that finally guaranteed my grandfather's right to vote. Likewise, neo-fascists like the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers have built their identity around violent reaction to the 21st century's civil rights movement, the movement which seeks to end race-based supremacy once and for all. I urge this council to unambiguously condemn neo-fascism so that you can spare your grandchildren the embarrassment of explaining why their ancestors were so obviously on the wrong side of history. Man, that is so right. And I'm so glad that you put that in such stark terms because this is really, this is the entire battle. I mean, the internet never forgets. As long as we have civilization, all these assholes in mm -hmm. the Proud Boys, all these people demonstrating, uh, counter demonstrating against BLM, th their pictures are going to live forever. They're gonna be just like those pictures in the 1950s of those yeah. idiots screaming at the little girl, girl trying to go to school. 
Exactly right, man. That's exactly right. And it was, I was told, my friend Lauren told me that don't bother trying to reason with these people. These are Trump Republicans, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so like, I didn't go in this thinking that like, I was actually going to persuade them, right? This is really just like, like it was a lot of the, and I was tame. Some of the folks there were like fire hose, like they were ripping these people, the, the council people apart. And like, I didn't feel comfortable doing that only because first of all, I'm black. And second, mm -hmm. and so that, that means that just like Barack Obama, you cannot be an angry black man, right? Mm -hmm. Second, second of all, look, I'm not from that county. And so uh, it's, luckily I don't live in an ultra conservative county like that. And so I didn't, I, I felt like I, I was a guest. And so I, but I wanted, but like you said, I wanted to be uncertain terms that like, this is what you are supporting. You are supporting neo fucking Nazis. Call yeah. it what it is straight up. What you said was unassailable and unimpeachable by anyone with any sort of fair-minded reading of events or, or history or, or anyone with any kind of intellect at all. Like, how can someone <laughs> argue with that? And yet they do. And the and way yet they do it by deflection. They mm -hmm. do it with this deflection, right? By trying to lump in Antifa and BLM with hate groups. Yep. And that was the entire, that was the entire thrust of their whole thing. And that is why they infuriated progressives across that county and in other counties too, because it was just a crystallization of the entire MAGA movement. This, like you said, this deflection, the false equivalence and the outright lies. And relatedly, speaking of outright lies, let's talk about theocracy. <laughs> you know, <I'm> gonna, <laughs> we never get tired of talking about This is our core mission here is mm -hmm. to address theocracy in this country. And so we're just, it's, this is what you come here for to the radical secular. That's absolutely right. Absolutely right. Because you can't talk about power and you can't really talk about power without talking about theocracy. And we're going to find out exactly this is, we're going to talk about Poland basically, but first mm -hmm. let me, let me set up this discussion for us. So let me first set the stage for this discussion and know the problem of Sean and I, two men talking about abortion, isn't lost on me. To our credit, though, it's far harder to get women to come on the show and talk about abortion than you might think. So if you are interested out there and you're listening, please email us at theradicalsecular.com, yell from the housetop, send us a text, send us a smoke signal. We'd mm -hmm. be happy to have you on the show. Anyway, so last week, South Carolina became the first state in 2021 to enact a restrictive, uh, I'm sorry, restrictive abortion law known as a heartbeat ban. South Carolina's heartbeat law bans abortions at the detection of the fetal heartbeat, which can occur as early as six weeks into a pregnancy and before many people know they're pregnant. It includes exceptions for instances of rape, incest, medical emergencies, and fetal anomalies. It also requires abortion providers to perform an ultrasound and display the image of the pregnant individual and to ask the woman if she would like to hear the, the heartbeat if it's audible, which is a, a medically unnecessary requirement. Compared to those in 2019, newer heartbeat bans such as South Carolina's mark a sort of normalization of what would have once seemed to be extreme anti-abortion strategies. They serve not just as a strategy to get to the conservative Supreme Court, but may also preview of what conservatives lawmakers would do if Roe v. Wade were gone. Sean, I'm going to ask you a deliberately leading and frankly outrageous question. <laughs> Why should we all low-key hope that Supreme Court straight up overturns Roe v. Wade. Okay, boy, I have so much to say on this. I mean, <laughs> there, there's that answer to that question really has two parts because in a functioning democracy, we should hope that the Supreme Court 
overturns Roe v. Wade, because what that would do is that would set up a backlash where voters would throw these people out. We would get new justices on the Supreme Court and we or and or Congress would vote something ironclad or we'd pass a constitutional amendment mm -hmm. enshrining abortion into the as a constitutional right. All of the any or all of those things should be what happens in a democratic society where there's something like 65 or 70 percent support for legal abortion. OK, mm -hmm. but now the second part of my answer is that <laughs> in a country where we are <laughs> hurtling toward minority rule, OK, it's damn scary that we have a 6-3 Supreme Court that could overturn Roe v. Wade and we are blocked from from having majoritarian representation in the legislature to address this. So we could have a situation where this kind of locks us into possibly decades of the uh, back alley abortions and women not having control over their bodies. It could be a very heinous situation. And by the way, I really have to, I have to bang the drum here because I talked about this so much prior to 2016 that we would be dealing with a conservative court for a generation if we didn't elect Hillary Clinton. And I heard about this not just from, it wasn't just conservatives who hated Clinton, it was a lot of liberals. A lot of the Bernie people really hated Clinton and didn't want to vote for her. And I must have, I probably talked to thousands of this type of, of person in 2016 across all my social media channels and everybody I could potentially talk to and say, hey, if you care about a woman's right to choose, you have to vote for Hillary, regardless of what else you might think about her. And, and I have to call out people like Susan Sarandon, who's supposedly a feminist, right? And who was just dead set on the war path against voting for Hillary Clinton. Well, now look what you did. Okay. And the response, of course, by the Bernie people is, well, you should have nominated Bernie if you wanted to protect women's right to choose. Okay. This is nonsense because they're predicating that entire argument on that Bernie would have beat Trump. Well, that's not a known, that's not, first of all, Bernie wasn't on the ballot in the general election. And the fact whether he would have beaten Trump or not is a hypothetical. So this is what these guys hang their hat on. But the fact is, is that if abortion does become illegal, if the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, this will be on the heads of a lot of so-called progressives who you know, didn't vote for Hillary in 2016. That was the time to fix this. And now we're in the age of consequences. That's absolutely right. And I saw a funny, a funny tweet recently uh, this week, which says, man, it really sucks that I was born or I, I missed out on the fuck around decades. And now I'm in the find out decades, right? Like, because <laughs> now we're living in the, we fucked around and found, found out. We fucked mm -hmm. around and found out because here we are now. And you know what? The whole Bernie would have won argument. And you and I talked about earlier, this problem with the attacks on Biden that we're seeing now, which are yes. which in a similar vein, but it's predicated on this idea that if we, if we let Trump win or if Trump wins or if, or the entire, let's rip down the system. Right. Mm -hmm. If we just burn it down, it down yep. burn it all down. And we'll, and this was Susan Sarandon argument, right? Like yep. let burn down the system, let them see how bad it's going to get. And then we'll, and then we'll be able to build something. But that is all predicated, like you said, on the idea that there's actually a democracy afterward, which is not how this ends. This does not end with, with there still being a democracy. 
This is what I call progressive apocalypticism. And this is, there was a survey, and this is not unique to the right or the left. They're, they're about 40% of Americans have this burn it down mentality. Mm -hmm. And they want to mm -hmm. see, they, they're mad because they weren't listened to. They're not getting their way. And so their idea as a response to not getting their way is, well, we're just going to burn the whole system down and have mm -hmm. anarchy. Well, America, you don't know what anarchy looks like. No, you, they really don't. I mean, you remember there was a, a friend of yours on Facebook, and I don't remember his name and probably shouldn't say it anyway, because who knows if he wants to be known, but he was saying that he was in Mogadishu, I think Somalia, and he was, I, th I guess, assumed during the 90s. And in his platoon, he had a father come up to his platoon and offer his son to, get, to, to give a blowjob to anyone in the platoon for water. Right. That's yep. what anarchy looks like. That's what anarchy looks like. Let's, let, the, let's be clear. Let's the total clear. degradation of humanity is what anarchy looks like. That's what it looks like. It does. It's not sexy. It's not fun. It's not cool. And, and, and it doesn't necessarily, it very unlikely results in a reconstitution of democracy. And what world do you think that breaking down democracy is the way to, to, to reinforce it? It is just, it, like, it is this idea it's only, and I, I, I rag on deontology a lot, but mm -hmm. it's this idea of that it, it ignores the practical idea and it says like the, the, the practical outcome of this and, and looks at it in this almost this romantic thing that like, right, that Bernie's winning and socialism and all these things that these folks want is something that is, it's almost an abstract concept. It's not the steps that it takes to get there are not things they're thinking about is the point. It's a misapprehension of the game of power that's being played. We are in a power, 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 power. bare knuckle fight for the future of humanity right now. And it's we're going one of two ways. We're going toward uh, complete barbarism or we're going towards improved civilization like Star Trek, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. on the road anyway. Who do you think is going to rebuild the United Nations if it, if it falls apart? <laughs> yeah, who, do you, exactly. who do you think is going to rebuild our democratic institutions, right? Once they fall apart and once warlords are in charge, how do you get back? To how do you get back? How do you get back? I mean, you just have to look at Somalia, Ethiopia. You got to look at the places where government is so weak that right. it cannot stand up to, to private violence, basically. Right. And it's a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. Just imagine, OK, your local militia. Being in charge of your local government. Exactly. Exactly. Just imagine all those guys with the three percent and Oath Keepers. Those guys are now the commandant of your city and they can shoot you on sight. Yep. They can rape. They can get away with anything they want and they can come in your house and drag your family out in the middle of the night. Matter of fact, this happens all the time in other parts of the world. We're going to talk about this a little later, but there was one mm -hmm. that where uh, there was a massacre in November of 2020 yep. in Ethiopia. And this exact thing happened. These militias came to town. They dragged everybody out and shot them in the street right in front of their homes. They had mothers tying up their children. They had Sick. just executing people for no good reason whatsoever. That's what course, happens. And of, and of course, rape is always right in here with this, right? Like that you cannot, and for all the women out there, that is, that is, and, and slavery, right? Sex slavery in particular is, this is what we're looking at here. This is what we're talking about here. And, and people like look at people like you and I, Sean, and say, oh, you're alarmist and da, da, da. But I mean, let's talk about Poland because yeah. this is a great example, right? But let's look down the road. Let's look down the road a little bit about what theocracy looks like and what, what it looks like when there is 
when they're when democracy falls apart when mm -hmm. democracy falls apart let's just when, account take, take when accountability falls apart when that's when exactly the, right you, they want to kill journalists okay what happens when the media is not watching yes what happens when you take over uh, uh journalism in a country and where mm -hmm. it's no longer it no longer holds people accountable we'll, we'll find out we're going to find out so yeah, so Poland at this stage, I'd like for us to take the conversation international. And I want to express the radical secular solidarity with our brothers and sisters standing up to theocracy in Poland. Again, this is what we talk about here all the time, because we think it's super fucking important. It's the mission, uh, largely the mission of this and, and, and the justice and the lack of justice is what we talk about here under theocracy. Total ban on abortion took effect in Poland at midnight last Wednesday. The court ruling that allowed the prohibition prompted huge protests when it was issued in, in October. And but now abortion is allowed only in the case of rape or incest or when the pregnancy threatens the life of the mother. So how did Poland get here? The October ruling by the Constitutional Court, the highest court in the nation, found a 1993 law allowing abortion in cases of severe and irreversible fetal anomalies was unconstitutional. In 2019, 98% of the abortions were carried under carried out under those grounds, meaning that the real that this ruling effectively banned the vast majority of pregnancy terminations. The court justified its ruling on the grounds that, quote, an unborn child is a human being, end quote, and therefore it deserves protection under Poland's constitution, which ensures the right to life. The ruling provoked outrage from supporters of the right to abortion, but Poland's conservative government, which has strong ties to the country's powerful Catholic Church, supports the ruling. We're going to be talking about the role of the Catholic Church in, in Polish politics. But first, Sean, can you just can you draw a line for our listeners between the rulings like that handed down by Poland's constitutional court and the abject suffering endured by our recent guest, Coral Annika Thiel? OK, so, I mean, this is a huge subject. It is. And, Go and for it. it. Just it, have it, at it. it. It just has to do with the what a lot of people just don't want to admit. And that is that the vast bulk of the patriarchal religions on the planet are fertility cults and mm. the, they don't have any women's primary role in their mind is to bear children. And the, it's the whole thing of the seed and the soil. The woman is soil. The woman is that that is her role. And it is there is no reconciliation between that idea. OK, and modern civilization. This is a backward, barbarous idea, and it is what the entire abortion debate hinges on, is this idea that women should not control their fertility. And you can see this as a thread running through all religions, although they approach it in various ways. Okay, So for example, the Catholic Church is opposed to abortion and birth control. Muslims, on the other hand, can get abortions. Hmm. But the way they deal with that in, in the Islamic world is that women need their husband's permission to do anything, right? So ultimately, it still leaves the man in charge. Everything to do with controlling a woman's fertility is one of the primary methods that men use to keep women down and to be dominant. And so that is where the connection is with Coral Annika Teal, because she was in this abusive marriage where all of her entire life was completely controlled from money to her movements, to what she wore, to what she could even say to her children. And she was, she had eight children. So I don't think that any woman would choose to have eight children. And so in these religious cults, they don't allow birth control and there is not consent. She told us on the show that there was spousal rape going on and they think that's fine. 
and, and we have to come to terms with the fact that the conservative moral hierarchy always involves rape. Okay, the, the idea that a woman can fail to consent or withhold consent from a man is against the conservative moral hierarchy. And that hierarchy comes from God to the man, or actually God to the church, and then to the man, and then to the woman, and the child is on the very bottom. So it's the height of hypocrisy for them to say that they are pro-life or pro-child, that they care about this heartbeat, because the child is at the very bottom of that hierarchy to begin with. And they don't treat children who are already here, who, who have already been born, they don't treat them well. They don't seem to care about their education unless it involves indoctrination. Mm -hmm. They don't seem to care about feeding or clothing them unless it involves a private charity from their church where they can groom them to be future members. Okay, they're not interested in providing a baseline of civilized support for women and children. They're interested in control. And so this whole thing is just shot through with hypocrisy from beginning to end. And this is why we as men, I believe, are qualified to talk on abortion, because even though I can't get pregnant, I have raised three children and I understand what a woman goes through. And this is not talked about because we have this incredibly pro-birth, pro-fertility idea that really for a woman to have a child, and it's through our entire culture, we talk about, oh, the, her biological clock is ticking. Oh, when are you going to have a child? Oh, you're getting, and, and then this whole shame of the trade-off between child and career, right? Mm -hmm. And this, I mean, I could just, I could talk about this for a long time. I don't want to sidetrack our show, but I will say that any man who wants to weigh in on abortion, you better have a vasectomy. I have. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah. And this is important because it's it, great points all around, Sean. And I think that it's about taking agency away from women. Let's call it right. The idea that this has anything to do with life is just as bullshit as Black Lives Matter is also a hate crime. It's also oh, yeah. it's also a hate group, right? It's the same fault. It's, it's the same bad faith argument, right? The argument it's never a because we, we know that we, we, these are people who want corporal punishment. These are think, think about what Coral and what, what Coral went through as a child, right? right? And everybody should go back and listen to that episode because it is just if you want to understand why Sean and I do this every fucking week, go mm -hmm. and listen to that all that that thing because yes, that's an extreme example, but I but this is why I want I brought up this question because I want to draw that line for people because people like it's really easy to say oh that's an outlier oh that's a crazy situation but no, the abortion, the anti-abortion movement in this country is not an anti-abortion movement. It's an anti-women's agency movement. That's right. what it is. It is, a, it is a reaction to women wanting to not fit into that moral hierarchy that you were just talking about. Well, it's also punitive, right? Because mm -hmm. the same people with reliability, okay, with nearly 100% reliability, Republicans vote against SNAP, they vote against WIC, all the programs that we have set up to help women and children, Republicans vote against them every single time. So their hypocrisy about abortion is just staggering. And mm -hmm. I remember I confronted one guy because he was he said he was pro-life, but he was also for uh, pro-death penalty. And he just flat out admitted that it was about punishment. Mm -hmm. Right. Both both of those positions are about punishment. Right. The person who's guilty should be put to death. And the woman who had sex without protection should have a child. 
It's exactly right. It's so true. It's so fucking true because that is always because, right, the idea, and this gets into the purity narrative that they Mm -hmm. have in their heads, right, which is like a huge part of the conservative mind is this sort of obsession with purity, right, all the way down to the virgin birth, which is like one of the more absurd concepts, right, and uh, for for all the obvious reasons. But it really comes down to this idea that uh, it's the same thing with not wanting to give to, to, to do social programs, right? It's this idea that the poor deserve to be punished. They deserve to suffer, mm-hmm. right? And we see this in the vitriol and the anger and the rage of the MAGA movement, right? It's about hurting people. It's about a desire to hurt people. And it, and that is, I think, an important factor here that is under-talked about, for sure, for sure. Well, we um, also we always talk about about God being created in the image of man, right? And this mm-hmm. comes up a lot when we talk about the difference between conservative religion and liberal religion, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so you get a lot of liberal Christians, and mm-hmm. there aren't that many of them anymore because no, there aren't. There really aren't. No. <laughs> but, but the ones that exist believe in a loving God, whereas yeah. the conservative Christians believe in a punitive, you know, I, for I am a jealous God, right? That whole thing from the Old Testament, that is the God they have created, which is, who is much like themselves. That's so true. And, and I think that's an important point. And that is, and we're going to talk now about the separation of church and state, and we're going to talk about Poland and, and talk about sort of the Catholic church. But there are these progressives that are religious or, and their religion is, if you press them on, it tends to be basically a concept of a general good, right? And it, it sort of starts to sound a lot not like religion, really, when you really sort of start, if you press, for you press, which is funny, right? When if you really press people on it, because a, a friend, a people who go to Unitarian churches, which is just like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just barely a church, right? It's really just yeah. a group of people together who like spending time with each other. And, and I like to point this out too, in terms of secularism, right? We talk about secularism here, obviously. And that is, right, like the idea that, yeah, if you like, I understand why those traditions could be really meaningful to you. I'm not anti-traditions, like or mm-hmm. or or rites of passage. Like these are part of being a human being. I get it, right? You can do that. And the thing that we talk about here is just don't f- impose those upon us, right? Mm-hmm. And and don't and and look. Even if you want to believe in, you want to be a dualist and all this sort of thing, fine. But keep your rosaries off my ovaries, right? Mm-hmm. That is no, like. And generally speaking, that is the, that's the important fact here is, and we, we talk about Joe Biden, Joe Biden's a religious guy, right? But he also doesn't, he also is pro as pro choice, right? And that yeah. those two things can live together. And I, so I, I really don't want people to, to listen to our show and think that we're like, you know, fuck you for being religious, because it's really not that we, we care about outcomes here. Yeah, here's the thing. I, I, we see the harm that's happening. I, I, yeah. I see the harm that's happening, and I've been talking about it for you know ever since I left my cult, you know, mm-hmm. way back when. I, I've been mm-hmm. talking about this as a point of harm, and people don't really want to hear it. They don't. They want to. They want to think they can have it both ways, and you really can't have it both ways. Yeah, and that's the truth. Because look at what's happening to Joe Biden. He is standing his ground and saying, "Hey, my personal beliefs don't sh- shouldn't have anything to do with policy," and he's right. getting flack. They are threatening to deny him communion for his stance. And that just goes to show that you can't, (laughs) religion doesn't want to be 
on the side. Like they don't, the, the separation, like the entire goal of these religious, fu- Josh Hawley, I, I, he's one of my, one, <laughs> one of my, he's one of the worst people in the world. So I like coming back to him because he explicitly said, we talked about this in, in, in a episode of about a month ago or so. He explicitly comes out and says, no, we don't want to be on the sidelines. We absolutely want to be in government. That is what we're here for. It's our job. It's we must we must impose our religion on people. That is our job. That is Josh Hawley. That's his position. Well, this is the, the this is the central, right down the middle, theocratic position, right? The seven mountains strategy. They mm-hmm. look at the, and and it's culture, government, all the different education. They mm-hmm. they, they have identified the seven parts of the structure of society and they want to dominate every single one and that is their strategy it's stated it's written down there's no there's no questioning this there's no question it's an explicit goal it's an explicit goal so we to the extent that we sound alarmist right it's like well i mean are you watching what's happening to this country do you see what the supreme court looks like because it's happening it's happening right before our eyes it's and like and this is why the south Carolina abortion bill, what I read earlier, is so important because it's that used to seem outrageous to us. Now, a heartbeat bill is like everyone shrugs their shoulders because they're like, oh, well, yeah, but these things are like now, and that is where we are. And like 20 years ago, that seemed crazy, but now it's not. Well, do you remember, I don't know if you remember, it was sometime in the early 20 teens mm-hmm. where there was a guy, I think his name was Mordock or something like that, and he had to resign or he dropped out of a primary race or whatever because he used the term legitimate rape. Ah, yes, I do remember this. Yep. Okay, so that was the that was really in the sort of beginnings of where we are now, which is where these guys are explicitly stating their strategy of dominance and hierarchy of men over women and all the rest of the conservative moral hierarchy. They're just coming right out and saying it. This yep. is how it should be. This is what we want. We want we want rape to be able to happen and you should have the baby. We yep. want whites to dominate because Western civilization, all mm-hmm. of these things, they're just explicitly coming out now and expressing all the different parts of that conservative moral hierarchy openly. Exactly right. That's exactly right. So now let's talk about one of, um, again, we're going to talk about separation of church and state. And and I'll read from an article now, which was really good. The relationship between church and state in Poland is governed by a 1993 agreement that says they are independent and autonomous. In reality, Poles see an increasingly explicit connection. Indeed, the Catholic church is at Poland's core. According to church data, 88% of children attend catechism classes in state-run schools. In the 1980s, the church was a voice of freedom. Pope John Paul II earned iconic status for inspiring people to stand up to communist rule. After communism fell, the clergy pushed a return to conservative Catholic values. And in 1993, when Poland introduced new curbs on abortion, church approval ratings fell below 40%, and they have not recovered, at least not above 75 over the next few years, as Poland introduced market reforms and joined the European Union, poor, less educated voters felt left behind, a trend Poland's conservative Law and Justice Party promised to reverse when it came to power in 2015. The Law and Justice Party is known by its acronym PIS. The party, whose strongest support is among older rural voters, has spent millions of euros on church-run projects. Government documents show PIS has overhauled a number of institutions, including the Constitutional Court, and reforms that the European Union says has increased the church's political influence in the legal system. The party sees the church and Polish national identity as one, Rysgard Zanecki. 
a senior lawmaker for PIS says that while the party and the clergy should be seen as independent, the church's role in, quote, preserving national identity is undeniable. Church symbolism reaches deep in Poland's political life. In 2015, a group of lawmakers from across the political spectrum placed a vial of blood from the late John Paul II in the chapel of the House of Parliament. Mm. PIS fuses piety and nationalism to the point where a central banker nominated and chosen by the party has published his views on moral topics. Eric Lahn wrote a piece about interest rates in 2019 in which he urged the faithful to pray for the, quote, evil spirit of cosmopolitanism to be eradicated from universities, particularly from business schools. Same-sex marriage is illegal in Poland, and senior church officials have supported a government crackdown on LGBT rights. One archbishop worried, um, warned in 2019 against, quote, rainbow plague spreading through the nation. Sean, what kind of parallels can we draw between this aggressive fusion of church and state and what's happened in the United oh. States over the last 30 years? 40 years, really. Jesus fucking Christ. I mean, okay, so let's just start at the beginning where you have Pope John Paul and mm -hmm. him being involved in the fall of communism. Well, come on, let's cut the shit, okay? They didn't like communism because communism was officially secular, okay? Communism was, it was they, they suppressed the church, probably for good reason. All throughout the, the Soviet Union and the, the Eastern Bloc countries, the church was suppressed and maybe a little bit persecuted. I don't mm -hmm. know. You know, I'm not in necessarily in favor of persecution of religion, but at least under you know <laughs> under Soviet rule, okay, women were not oppressed, right? Right. It was there. There was abortion was legal and available, and all of this. It, it, it was at least they were making an attempt to to have some equality because that's that's what their philosophy was: is that people should be equal. Now. We could go in all day long into what the problems were with communism. And I would agree. I would agree that there were lots of problems. But, you know, the Catholic Church and, and just let's face it, all throughout the, the, the former communist world, okay, churches are resurgent. I mean, it was the, mm -hmm. this was like the best opportunity for them when communism fell. I mean, the Russian Orthodox Church, the, the Catholic Church all throughout that area. I mean, just they just got a they just got a meal ticket at mm -hmm. that point. So, yeah. Okay, it's unsurprising, entirely unsurprising that they would be trying to insert themselves into the government because that's what you do. It's about power. It's about how, who controls society. Same thing, the seven mountains strategy. It's being, it, we can see the future of that over there in Poland right now because yeah. culturally they have a huge, you want to talk about cancel culture? Okay. There's a woman who displayed a picture of the Virgin Mary with a rainbow halo, and she faced charges and went to prison. Okay, there's another guy, a heavy metal musician, and I've got the article here somewhere, but I, I won't take the time to look it up. But he is now facing a 4,000 euro fine for stepping on a picture of the Virgin Mary at one of his shows. So this is what's going on is you want to talk about censorship and, and cancel culture. I mean, the right does this in spades whenever they get mm -hmm. into power. So Absolutely I, right. and, and this thing that, that that central banker said about the evil spirit of cosmopolitanism, I mean, here you go. Okay. What is cosmopolitanism? It means equal rights. It means having a multicultural society with people from all over the world. And Europe is, I mean, Europe is the most multicultural place in the world. So how can you then sit there and try to reinstitute this straight white religious culture in the middle of yeah. Europe? Yeah. Yeah. And I think what you said there was really important because in the vacuum that com communism 
the reason why com- the communist probably a lot of large reasons why the communist uh, Soviets, let's put it that way, that distinct that distinguish that from communism, but uh, the Soviets uh, suppressed the church is because they realized that the church is a rival power, right? This right. is and not a, a rival political and social power specifically, not a fun, mm-hmm. not, also a financial power, but really a, a, a ideological power that you have to grapple with. And as soon as that ideology was gone, I mean, here it comes, like coming right back. And again, religion is never content being part of society. It needs to dominate it. it. That is how it works, right? It is It is premised on this idea. And we talk about this. You talk about this a lot. We talk about this a lot. And this it's premised on this idea that God over man. I mean, the entire idea is that there is only one power and that we should all submit to it. That's the that is literally the defining concept of what religion is, right? So we shouldn't be surprised that as soon as it's left off the leash, it, it creeps into power, creeps into government, and next thing, abortions are all illegal. And by the way, of course, we know the story here. Poor women are always going to get hit the hardest here, right? Rich women will always be able to go to a different place where you are able to get an abortion, right? A lot of these politicians who have mistresses, they're going to get abortions for their mistresses for mm-hmm. fucking sure. You could be absolutely, even as they pray at the fucking, at the, at the church on their knees, they're going to go home and get a fucking abortion. We both know this. And can we talk about the vial of fucking blood? Like what the fuck? This is like, we, we talk about this being a, a death cult, right? I mean, what the fuck? A vial of his blood? I mean, that's just sick. It's really sick. And of course, this goes back, if you believe in dualism, if you believe in spirits, good and evil spirits, you might believe that a vial of someone's blood would have some magic powers, right? I mean, we're talking about, this goes all the way back to the earliest humans, like with talismans and mm-hmm. being worshiping the rain god, performing human sacrifice, right? Yeah. It's like, this is just magical thinking in its very worst incarnation. I, I want to bring it back, though, to mm-hmm. the legal and cultural environment and the reason why it's going to be very difficult for women to get those rights back in Poland. Mm-hmm. And that is because the PIS, uh, in the Law and Justice Party, th- this is the whole same law and order thing. I mean, you're hearing the same even language, okay? And rhetoric the, is the same, dude. It's the same fucking rhetoric. And the attacks on journalism have gone a lot farther in those places because in Poland, they have pretty much taken over the media entirely. It would be as if there was nothing but Fox News. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you can imagine that how much the conservatives hate CNN and hate ABC, CBS, NBC, all the like fact-based media. They got to get rid of it because it got just it. doesn't, you can't maintain this kind of dominance and oppression as long as you have a, an independent media. So this is what's happening is that journalists are being arrested, harassed, shot, locked up, you know, for doing their jobs in these places because fascism cannot operate in an air with an air of accountability. So, mm-hmm. and, and then the other thing they did, of course, is what they're also trying to do here is they packed the courts and they changed the jurisdiction of a lot of the courts in, in Poland as well. And if you read about what happened there, I mean, I, I have a friend who he was an admin on the like liberal quick response team group. And he was in Poland as all this was happening and as this takeover was occurring within the last 10 to 15 years. And he just says, this is what's going on in the US right now is exactly what happened in Poland. Mm-hmm. And he had to leave. He left and came here because it was so un- intolerable for liberals over there. Yeah. And there won't be any, if America falls to fascism, there won't be anywhere to go. And you won't be able to go somewhere to get an abortion. It'll be like in The Handmaid's Tale where the border Mm -hmm. to Canada is completely closed. 
if Canada even remains a free nation, right, under those circumstances. Because yeah. Canada is protected by us. The entire democratic world is protected by us. So if we go, then there's no place to run. Yeah. And this is important, I think, for a lot of reasons. I, great points all around. It is people don't understand the danger and it's the frog in the boiling water thing that we talk about <laughs> here, right? Like we're living, we are the fucking frog, man. We're the fucking frog. And but you and, and I aren't. You and I are not the frog. I don't, I don't know what we are. Some sort we're, of we're the animal. we're the we're we're running around banging the pots and pans and saying, "Wake up, people!" We're running wake around the up. neighborhood, Paul Revere riding whatever metaphor. We right. are trying to wake people up because by the time you lose your rights, it's going to be too late. Too late. It's too late. I mean that that's what the I say at the beginning of the segment that we stand in solidarity with our our friends in Poland and because right like they did wake up one day and realize that holy shit. I mean, now I can't get an abortion, right? And they flaunted all the restrictions, uh, the COVID restrictions, and they ran out in the streets and they, and there was some hope perhaps that in October, that the, that when the, uh, that, that due to the show of discontent, mm -hmm. that, that there would be, uh, that the law wouldn't be enforced, but we are, but for all the reasons we talked about earlier in the show, there is no accountability. And so it doesn't matter that people go and protest, right? No, there is no Democrat. The, the democracy has already been corroded so much that the people's voice is irrelevant. Yeah. If there's no mechanism for change at the government level, then street protests are just, you know, it, you look at the street protests in Russia. Okay. Alexei Navalny, mm -hmm. he, he comes home and for the first time in like, you know, 10 years or whatever, people actually are defying government mm -hmm. restrictions and protesting in the streets. Well, they came down with an iron fist and they arrested a lot of those people. A lot of those people were tortured and they cracked down so severely because they want to send the message. Don't ever fucking do this again. That's right. And I think we're going to talk about the, the coup in Myanmar in a little while, but I think it's important to see here that this is sort of the modern version of authoritarianism, right? And it's not even a really new playbook. It's an old, very old playbook, but it really always comes down to authoritarians marrying themselves to the church. Hitler did this, Mussolini did this, and Putin has done this, right? He is really big with the Russian Orthodox and all that kind of stuff because they're there. If, because first of all, you get the sort of moral authority with a lot of people that way. And second of all, you are then able, they're both they have both have the same goals, right? Which is to dominate society and stamp out resistance, right? So it's a, it's sort of, it's a genius move if you are a shitty authoritarian. I also want to talk about briefly about how this happens, right? Neoliberalization over the course of however many 40 years, and I always talk about this as a slow motion coup, because what you see, this is the same story we see, right? You see this erosion of society, that neoliberalism, and I mean that in, in the, the idea that there is no, that every individual is like an island and there mm -hmm. is no, like literally this idea, there's no such thing as society, right? Right. That they're just a bunch of independent people. And so in that, but turns out human beings aren't, aren't wired that way. We are highly social species, right? And so when we want community, we want a sense of identity and guess who comes in and gives you that sense of identity, right? Authoritarians do, mm -hmm. religious theology, uh, theocracy does. And so I think we'd be remiss if we didn't see, didn't 
call out that process. Like, right. So the idea of neoliberalism has brought a lot of prosperity to the world in a lot of ways. And I'm not, I don't want to shit on that, but it's, it, it is really remarkable to see that it's the rural, older, poorer voters that have supported the PIS, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the same fucking story here. It's the same fucking story everywhere. These people felt left behind by globalization, by neoliberalism. And then they, and then again, it's just, there's someone waiting in the wings always, always to give these people a sense of purpose. Well, this is what Joe Acapinti brought up last week in our show, mm -hmm. is that what we are really dealing with here across the board is a reaction to modernity. This is something that's mm -hmm. been accelerated by technological change and the backlash sure. to change. And sure. I think that's an important point, is that the church represents a, a return to the past. Mm. And, and also, I, I wanted to bring up too, that God is always a force multiplier. If you're intent on controlling a bunch of people, you need to either invent or glom onto the existing gods that 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 exist. And I, I've brought this up before, and I'll bring it up again. Anthropologically, in civilizations, once they pass about a million people, the gods they create become angrier, and mm -hmm. that's just because you have a human management problem. You get you need to figure <laughs> out how do you get all these people to right. listen? How do you get them right. to cooperate? And so you bring in this angry god, and it works. And so. Mm -hmm. As a modern civilization, one of our challenges is going to be how do we get people to cooperate multiple cultures without a God? And that's, that's exactly our challenge. Right. That's our challenge. And that is, we talk about the Star Trek ethos on the okay. show all the time, right? And one thing that I think is important that we talk about on the show is what the world looks like. How, what is the social glue? without religion, right? Because that's that is what we're talking about here, right? Right. Religion has traditionally been a social glue. It has been a, a, a moral authority. It's been all these sort of things that keeps people in line, frankly, keeps society moving, but it comes with a huge cost, like a huge cost, right? It, it comes with necessarily suppressing individual rights. It, it's anti-democracy and it's ultimately corrosive because there's no accountability. And so we need to find a way. And what I love about the Star Trek ethos is like, it's, 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 oh, you create a society around the ideas of justice, of, uh, of equality, of exploration, of knowledge. I think it's not being afraid to promote the common good, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you have the common good, there was, there was a study that was done a long time ago in Europe, and it basically showed that there is a direct correlation between social services, an inverse correlation between the availability of social services and religion, right? So yep. basically when people are, aren't scared, sick, and broke, they really don't have any use for religion, right? Right, right, right. right. They, they can go to the doctor when they need to. They, yeah, yeah. The, the government it will keep them safe. They have, they're okay. They feel good in society. And to the extent that there is divisions and hatred and people are poor and sick and can't get health care, they tend to turn to religion. Mm -hmm. And that's what we get. And so a lot of these older people, they sense the certainties that they had in their youth or whatever slipping away right and so yes, they feel scary. afraid mm -hmm. and they can't necessarily and we also can't discount the fact that there is a constant drumbeat of libertarians with their megaphone in the media telling people that the common good is really the common bad yes right? socialism yes. will destroy this country yes socialism will destroy you it's going to take away your rights it's you're not going to have any individual rights anymore and that drumbeat makes it impossible for us to promote the common good so true. And uh, speaking of 
common good. Let's go where things are not so good. And for anyone, unless you are part of a a military junta, then you're in great shape. So let's start this segment now. Um, The crisis in Myanmar. Let me read a little bit from an outstanding, a mishmash of two outstanding New York Times articles, which we will put in the show notes. The military of Myanmar, formerly known as Burma, overthrew the country's fragile democratic government in a coup d'etat on February 1st, arresting civilian leaders, shutting off the internet, and cutting off lights. The coup returns the country to full military rule after a short span of quasi-democracy that began in 2011, when the military, which had been in power since 1962, implemented parliamentary elections and other reforms. In the weeks since the coup, Da Aung Sa Suu Kyi, the country's ousted civilian leader, has faced charges in a secret court. Demonstrations against the coup, some of which have turned deadly, have also erupted across the country. So what led to this coup? So parliament was scheduled to hold its first session since the country's November 8th elections, in which the National League for Democracy, the country's leading civilian party, run 83% of the body of the body's available seats. The military refused to accept the results of the vote, which was seen as widely a referendum on the popularity of Miss Aung San Suu Kyi. The, the, uh, Miss Aung San Suu Kyi, the head of the, LL, of the NLD, has been the country's de facto civilian leader since her election in 2015. The new parliament was expected to endorse the election results and approve the next government. The possibility of a coup emerged after the military, which had tried in the country's Supreme Court to argue that the election results were fraudulent, threatened to, quote, take action and surrounded the houses of parliament with soldiers. So, Sean, where have we heard this kind of uh, election (laughs) fraud language before? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, okay, so (laughs) this gets back down to the idea that a democracy is only as strong as its institutions. And Mm -hmm. one of the basic rules of democracy is that the military must be under civilian control. That's right. And so the reason why their coup succeeded and ours did not is because we still have civilian control of the military. And that's a big difference. There are other reasons, of course. I mean, and it's so funny because you understand that Everybody in the world knows this is bullshit, including their own ambassador to the United Nations. <laughs> Actually, recently, just I think yesterday, got up and gave a speech and said this coup is unjust and unfair and it should not have happened at the UN. And he was promptly fired by his own government. So this is, this is again, just power, just raw power overpowering democratic institutions on all levels. I mean, the UN, if it had any teeth at all, would be mounting an enforcement action right now against Myanmar. It's just like, this is ridiculous. This is absurd, right? You, if you want democracy, you have to enshrine the power of the people within the institutions so that it is not possible for, I mean, what is this bullshit about having Congress or parliament having to certify an election? It's like, no, no, the election is held and whoever wins the election takes power. And if you can't do that, then you don't have a democracy because as long as there is a possibility of Congress voting the opposite way, like what happened where they tried to, a bunch of of Republicans tried to block the certification and tried to install Trump as president. I mean, how is it even in our constitution that Congress has to certify these votes once the electoral college has voted? How is this even possible? And the same thing over there. How is it that if she was democratically elected, Okay, how is it that the military still had the power to say, no, we're not going to abide by this? 
Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. And it's a cautionary tale. A lot of this show is about a cautionary tale, right? This is an old school coup, right? Mm -hmm. This is like straight up the military rolls up and detains parliamentary, uh, the president and, and the parliament members, et cetera, and, and the leadership. It, it, I bring that up because we are experiencing, and I said this already during the show, and I'll say it again, and I'll say it again next show, and that is we are experiencing a slow motion coup. Since Reagan, we have seen this unfold very slowly. So it's really easy to point at this at like, oh, tin pot di the dictatorship, third world, ah, ha, 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 look at them being backward. But this is happening. It's almost easier to just, at least we can identify this. Everyone can see this as a coup for what, exactly for what it right. is. Here, you have to, you and I have to bang pots and pans for everyone to notice that, mm -hmm. wait a second, this is low key happening here though, right? Like, and for, we talked about theocracy earlier. It's, and the reason why I, I really want to hammer on these issues during this show is particularly as to really draw the line for people. And I wanted to draw a line between abortion and quarrel. These are cautionary tales for what happens when you let the, when you're the frog and the water's warming up. Okay, well, let's be very clear. A gerrymander in the United States is a coup. Mm-hmm. A gerrymander is a coup because what you're doing is you're essentially saying that we know that if we had properly drawn compact even districts this would be the outcome of the election but instead we're going to draw these districts so that the outcome of the election does not reflect the will of the people right and in a way our constitution carried out the original coup by setting up the senate in the way that it was set up by setting up the electoral college in the way that it was set up we do not have a democracy and so when our democracy fails, we say, oh, well, we can vote those people out. Not necessarily. No, not necessarily. <laughs> That's what's terrifying. And that, that is what we look at our country like, oh, we have all these freedoms. This is what just drives me fucking nuts, Sean, because uh, conservatives are ta always talk about their freedoms, right? Mm -hmm. Their freedom to wear it, to not wear a mask, their freedom to, to say whatever they want, their freedom to do, to go to a, to go to a Walmart during a uh, lockdown. But right, th this concept of freedom is purely deontological. It has nothing mm -hmm. to do with actual freedoms, right? Because because the same thing with the libertarian freedom, right? This is a great because it's it's freedom to discriminate. It's freedom to dominate. It's not freedom for most people. It's freedom for the most powerful. And that's what we see in uh, theocracy. That's what we see here in in uh, Myanmar. And it's always like slathered with the with these euphemisms of freedom and right to life and just like astonishing just astonishing displays of hypocrisy on all of this stuff. Did you see Ted Cruz's scream? He did like a Howard Dean like scream of <laughs> freedom. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is like a battle cry of right wing authoritarianism. Mm -hmm. It's so true. So it really is. It really is because it, it's, and again, it's double speak. It's right. It's, it is right out of, out of Orwell. Like you are saying, the word means the exact opposite of, of what you're trying to express, right? Like it, like mm -hmm. the definition that you're expressing is the exact opposite of what the word's supposed to mean. So now, again, classic coup in, in many ways, the military detained the leadership of the governing party and along with cabinet ministers and chief ministers, opposition politicians, writers, activists, um, the coup was effectively announced on military-owned Miyawati television station 
when a news presenter cited the 2008 constitution, which allows the military to declare a national emergency. The state of emergency, he said, would remain in place for one year. I'm sure it will remain in place for just <laughs> one year. I'm sure. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. Now, this is this is really important because I want to familiarize the audience with the like the major player in this sort of dystopian saga, Miss An San Suu Kyi. She came to power as state counselor in 2016 after the country's first fully democratic vote in decades. Miss An San Suu Kyi grew up as a political nobility, the daughter of General An San, the country's independence hero who was assassinated when she was two years old. After 28 years abroad, she returned home in 1988 as pro-democracy protests were coalescing across the country. Within a few months, the one-time homemaker had emerged as a leader of the movement. A military junta locked her up in 1989, after which her National League for Democracy won elections that were ignored by the dictatorship. In 1991, she won the Nobel Peace Prize, quote, for her nonviolent struggle for democracy and human rights. During house arrest in her crumbling villa for a total of 15 years, Miss Aung San Suu Kyi kept a strict schedule. She listened to BBC radio news reports, she practiced the piano, and she meditated the Buddhist way, intent, she said, on transcending earthly concerns. Miss Aung San Suu Kyi missed her two sons growing up and the death of her husband, a British academic from cancer. Her ascension to leadership was seen as a critical moment in the transition of Myanmar for, uh, to democracy from military dictatorship. Her time in detention was made her an international icon. And again, she was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1991. For all her democratic rhetoric, however, Miss Aung San Suu Kyi retained respect for the army that her father formed. Since taking power as a country's state councilor in 2016, Miss Aung San Suu Kyi repeatedly praised the army while refusing to acknowledge the military's drive to rid the Rohingya Muslims um, from the country. In 2017, roughly three quarters of a million Rohingya fled to neighboring Bangladesh. Many of those who left in the country are now in internment camps. The Rohingya were not allowed to vote in the country's recent elections, and the polls were canceled in other ethnic minority conflict zones, disenfranchising more than 2.5 million non-Bamar. As a result, ethnic parties were, able, were unable to make the electoral gains they once expected. Now, after her release from house arrest in 2010, Miss Aung San Suu Kyi's reputation was tarnished by her cooperation with the military and of her vociferous defense of the country's deadly campaign against the Muslim ethnic minority group. In 2019, she represented the country at a trial at the International Court of Justice at which she defended Myanmar against accusations of ethnic cleansing. Yet... Even as she has squandered the moral authority that came with her Nobel Peace Prize, her popularity at home has endured. Miss Aung San Suu Kyi supporters say that her refusal to speak up on behalf of Myanmar's vulnerable communities is not innate chauvinism, but rather a political pragmatism that comes from wanting to deny the military an opportunity to once again seize full power. We say, see how that worked out. Uh, <laughs> many believe that Ms. Aung San Suu Kyi's cooperation with the military was a pragmatic move that would hasten the country's evolution to full democracy. But her detention following the coup appeared to prove the lie in the military's commitment to democracy. Now, Sean, this is a tough. This is a tough question. Now, is this a story about liberal pearl clutching in response to finding out how the democratic sausage is made, or is this a woman who has who is a genocidal sociopath, or both? Okay, well, this really exposes one of the main problems with democracy mm. is that if you don't have a really good constitution democracy can turn into the tyranny of the majority, right? So you can 
any democratic country can vote to oppress an ethnic minority, right? Unless there are ironclad protections. So if you're sitting there and you're trying to win an election and you have a bunch of people who really want ethnic cleansing, the majority in the country wants ethnic cleansing, right? So if she's trying to get elected, what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. So I think it puts someone in uh, between a rock and a hard place uh, who is really trying, because this is what we've seen in Muslim countries. We went in in, in Iraq, we'd hold an election and they would vote in a, a, a Muslim theocrat. And as a matter of <laughs> fact, they even put in their constitution that Islamic law was the basis of the, of the law. So, mm -hmm. so even after we invaded Iraq and gave them a new constitution, we gave them a theocratic constitution that allowed them mm -hmm. to still engage in all these abuses. And I think this is, uh, I, I don't want to distract to that, but I think it demonstrates the principle that your democracy is only as good as your constitution and your institutions, because mm -hmm. what good would it do her to stick up for the Rohingya Muslims if she didn't get elected? and somebody who was willing to do the ethnic cleansing got elected, right? So it's really a bad situation. And I want to say, by the way, I, I looked at some of the, these images and stories oh. about what's going on with these people. And it, it, again, as you've said before, Christoph, whenever you try to move a large group of people, it always leads to atrocities. And always. They, they started forced marching like 700,000 people, and they went into their villages. These are really beautiful places with greenery and nice villages where they had nice clean huts. I mean, it's not it's not a Western standard of living, but it was certainly a, a way that these people were living and living pretty well in their situation. And the rape gangs came in, they, they mm -hmm. torched their villages, yeah. they drove them out. And now these people are all in some of the largest refugee camps in the world. And I'm talking about in an area that has extreme weather floods, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, incredibly hot summers, uh, humidity, and they are living in what amounts to plastic huts. Like these, th they've got black tarps over, you know, whatever sticks they can find to yeah. put up. And there are hundreds of thousands of people, children, women living in these squalid conditions now because of this ethnic cleansing. It is one of the ugliest stories I've ever seen. It really is. And this is why I wanted to bring light to this, because this really, as you were talking, I, I was reflecting a little bit on what we talked about earlier. And that is this idea that people think that anarchy is good mm -hmm. or that we don't need these institutions. Like, like, no, we are so fucking lucky. We are so fucking lucky. What we see outside, the roads that we drive down, the water that we drink, the fact that we were able to do this show and not really worry about being dragged out of our house and shot. These are dem democratic institutions that this is because we have strong. Oh, boy, we can't uh, take this for granted. We cannot take it for granted. We cannot take this for granted, man. This is what happens. The, the, and, and just think about this woman. Think about this woman. Right. And I don't want to defend her and I'm not defending her because these are she is explaining away atrocities. But at the same time, like. You, she's between, I, like I always say, Iraq and a hard place. Iraq and a hard place. But Lindsay, mm -hmm. oh, it's a terrible dad joke, I know. I, I just, I can't help it. But anyway, but she's really between a rock and a hard place. Like you say, what is she going to do? Like, do the right thing? I mean, remember in this article, there was a Buddhist monk. And I love this because everyone loves to think that the Buddhists are like some sort of like godly. <laughs> you know, I figure this Buddhist monk's like, oh, no, kill all the Muslims. 
Yeah, good. Literally, this is what he's saying. I mean, this is what I'm not making this up. He was saying that, like, no, she did the right thing. They're scum. They're they they are. And then the 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 it's always the reference to rodents and to insects oh. that comes in, right? And the dehumanization. And yep. this is coming from a fucking Buddhist monk, not a Buddhist, a Buddhist monk who lives in a fucking monkery or whatever the fuck. This is what he's saying. This is what we're talking about here. Western people tend to romanticize Eastern religion yes. as peaceful, as somehow mm -hmm. different and more spiritual mm -hmm. and all of that. It is utter horseshit. Okay. Mm -hmm. You have China, which is Buddhist, Confucianist, you know, it is a whole other culture that is often revered in, mm -hmm. in, in by, by people in the West. Yep. And look how they treat their Muslims. There are two million Muslims in prison camps being raped, tortured. Yep. And this is what goes on, folks. Yep. That's absolutely what goes on. And it's so important to say this because in the same way that power and religion fuse in the United States is, is in the process of fusing. We talked about it in Poland and it happens in Eastern countries too, right? People are, it's not like everyone sits on their cushion all day and just meditates all day, right? Like they are, they're Buddhist in the same reason, in the same way that most people are Christians here, mm -hmm. right? They might, yep. they may be good people. They may be bad people. And there's a lot of people who are perfectly willing to use that religion to impose their will upon other people, including literal right. monks. I mean, you can't make this shit up because they're the people who are supposed to be standing on top of the Himalayas, you know, yeah. meditating and shit. You know what I mean? But no. And I think that's really important. No, no one ever murders with such enthusiasm as when they think they have divine justification. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I, I just, I can't imagine being in this role. You know, this reminds me of the Vietnam War and the the power of people that came into the South, into South Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And like, like the factions that you are trying to deal with at that point mm -hmm. and at that stage of a country's democracy, when it is so fragile that it can just be blown over, like we've seen it, it's now just been blown over, right? Like it, it just, it now doesn't exist anymore in Myanmar, right? But when you're dealing with it, that's not right. You have to make these kinds of, I mean, I, can you imagine having to make these kinds of decisions? Like, like, how do you sit there and say, I know that this whole group of people is going to die, mm -hmm. but the country, but my job is to keep this country moving in the right direction. Right. And these are yeah. like, even someone like Biden with the fucking airstrikes, for example, whatever hard decisions he has to make in terms of the minimum wage. Right. Mm -hmm. These are decisions that are like, this is how the sausage gets made, folks. This is how the fucking sausage get made. People, there are people out there that want to destroy democracy, that want to, that want to destroy civilization. And sometimes we have to be willing to get our hands dirty. And again, I'm not justifying genocide. I'm obviously not like, come on, obviously I'm not before anyone like out there, like use these words against me in like 10 years or something like that. No, of course I'm not saying that. No. Well, here's the thing is that if you saw Aung San Suu Kyi gave a speech in the Capitol Rotunda, I just watched it actually. And mm -hmm. it was a short speech. It was about a 10 minute speech in English. Mm -hmm. She's, she's fully multicultural and educated. Oh, yeah. And right she, woman, she's like a really remarkable woman. Remarkable. Yeah. And in this 10 minute speech, she said all of the right things. She said mm -hmm. all the right words, her commitment to democratic institutions and all of these things. There was nothing wrong with the speech, but yet less than 10 years later, she's aiding and abetting a genocide. And exactly. this just goes to show how difficult and fragile the process of democracy is and being able to fuse democracy and justice when you have people who are just gripped with sectarian and, and ethnic priorities. And this is why we can't allow in the United States, bringing this back full circle, we cannot allow the, the people who want ethnic cleansing to gain power.
that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right, man. And, and I think that is like the sort of the theme of the show here. And we are getting to the end of our time. Do you have any final thoughts? Well, just it it's, goes back to that old 1960s chant, right? If not now, when? If not us, who? Right? Who is going to when are we going to take the stand? When are you going to stop falling for this bullshit about cancel culture? When, mm -hmm. when, when are we going to finally see Republicans for who they are? When are we going to stop being shocked at the latest outrageous thing they said and instead figure out a way to undermine their power, to destroy their networks, and to reestablish our democracy in a way that, that can bring us justice? Yeah, yeah. It, it's, I think it's really... Uh, we. They have a militant right. They have militias. We don't tend to have those things on the left. Antifa is the closest we have. And it's because it's not in our nature to dom try and dominate other people. Like, right. It, it is not in our nature on the left to think in those terms. But I do. And I don't think that we should give up our, we shouldn't sacrifice our values for anything. But that said, we had to, in order to preserve our values, we have to start thinking differently about this fight. We have to start thinking differently about this fight. And that's what we talk about, I think, here a lot on the radical secular. And I think it makes people feel uncomfortable. But look, part of what we do here is make people feel uncomfortable, right? And so it, it's so critical that we realize, and the, and this is what I really was hoping when we went when, when in, in putting the show together, to realize the stakes, realize the stakes. And I think we, I, and I think it, we did a good job. I hope that we did a good job here for everyone listening to elucidate what is at stake here? Why we do this show? Why and how fragile, how fucking fragile everything that we enjoy and take for granted is, including the motorcycle. I mean, to finish off right where we started, I fell on my motorcycle yesterday. And I remember as it was happening, this this absolute shock, like, oh, my God, this is really happening right now. <laughs> it, felt, it felt like a dream. And that is what it feels like when you are awoken up from your complacency all of a sudden. And I don't want that to happen when the Supreme Court strikes down Roe v. Wade for all the jokes we made about that earlier, you know? Mm -hmm. So, okay. Once again, remember that if you like our show, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, check out the radicalsecular.com and tell your friends to listen. New episodes post Mondays at noon Eastern on YouTube and all the major podcast channels. And if you're into reading, check out the blog at theradicalsecular.com. I'm Christoph Defoe. Thank you for being here. And remember that wherever you are, you can be radically secular. You've been listening to the Radical Secular Podcast, dedicated to the separation of church and state and the pursuit of justice. For full video episodes, please subscribe to our YouTube channel.